welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Knowing Podcast. I am Ciel Grove. I'm here with my lovely friend, Allison. Hello. Hello, Ciel. Hello, everybody. How are you, Allison? I am okay for once. I feel like every week we meet <laughs> and I'm like, why am I alive? What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> and while I still don't know the answers to those questions, I feel okay today. Awesome. It's a, I, maybe like... You know, I, I, it's such a funny thing, I suppose, to say that, like, sometimes I, like, try intentionally not to make something out of nothing, you know, like, where, I, if I can ex- describe this properly, like, you know how you we were talking about in the last episode of, like, finding meaning and trying to find, like, what something is telling you when it's happening and stuff, and... Yes. And I suppose I have these, like, kind of warring factions, in a sense, in my mind, this, like, very logical kind of what I experience as a very scientific, like skeptical part of my mind. And then the other part that just loves magic and loves like synchronicity and serendipitous experiences. And, you know, this, the whole like crazy meaning making of the, a lot of these practices and it, you know, like, I feel really good today too. And it's like, okay, is that because like you're affecting me or I'm affecting you or Pluto moved mm. out of retrograde or like what the <laughs> yes. hell is like, you know? And and it's sometimes yeah. I just, like I just want to let it be, we're just feeling good, you know? But then I also, there's that magic of going, but you know, we are connected. And, and I mean, that is, that is yeah. a verifiable truth that like we share energetic fields, you know? And, and yeah, it's, mm. it's so interesting though to, I suppose, especially like work with as many people as I work with on a weekly basis and see these like threads of and and waves moving through the collective, you know, where um, the last like two weeks has been family conflict, like across the board. Everybody I talk to has been trying to extract themselves from familial contracts and and mm. perhaps unhealthy norms and roles within their family dynamic. And it's just, it is so like, uh, it's like constant goosebumps when I'm working with people to go, oh, you're in this too. Like we're sharing this collective healing process, you know, and it's, oh, it's, it's so neat. So things do seem to happen in a really thematic way where it's just like as much as you think you're doing your own thing and it's kind of like me, 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 how does the world revolve around me? It's Mm -hmm. like certain issues just crop up for everyone at the same time. It's, it's very, it is, it does feel magical, um, but it feels a lot better when it's good things because I've also had my fair share (laughs) of family conflicts and that was a lot less fun. It will, and it's, it is, but in a sense, do you feel though that like when it's something quote unquote bad, you know, like, doesn't it, I find on a personal level that I'm more like, oh, good, you're in a, in a shit sandwich too. Like, that's so great. And maybe I'm just like totally self-centered and I, I want to share in my suffering with other people, but like it, it somehow, 
I don't know, it, it lightens it in a sense to go, okay, this makes sense, you know? Like, I remember some crazy astrological thing happened in January, and, like, it was just this crazy time for us here, and I had a friend come over, and she was like, oh, this planet did this, and and it was like this, like, oh, okay, I can settle. This is not just me who's super messed up. Like, I'm part yes. of this larger thing, and you're going through this too, and it, it just felt like... You know, this we're we're really meant to share in our healing, and our, our yes. I think our healing journeys a lot of the time, and I mean especially through this pandemic, like we're just we're we're these satellites, you know, and and going through perhaps some of the most challenging processes that we'll ever go through on our own, and that's that's crazy. Yeah, in some ways, it makes it easier to practice not taking it personally. I think completely when when other things are cropping up for other people because it is just kind of like oh this isn't this isn't because of something I was faulty about I mean you know in a large sense that it's like I didn't deserve this it's just kind of like oh this is the energy that we're all in and Mm -hmm. and due to like my own particular karma or whatever this is what it dredged up in me or totally who knows but yeah I mean it is it's it's very easy um I mean there's a really distinct difference between the act of taking responsibility for what is yours, you know, what energy you're contributing to a situation or a relationship or, you know, how you're showing up, where your impeccability is at, and um, just beating yourself over the head for things that you perceive as wrong in yourself. Like, responsibility and impeccability are not condemnation and judgment. And, like, being able to experience the difference between those two you know that condemnation and judgment has no movement it's just like you're bad you are I mean as we call it toxic shame like there's just like there's nothing we can do about it right but responsibility is oh I did something bad it's healthy shame or I did something that was you know inconsiderate or whatever and now I can reflect on my behavior and how I showed up and do something different right and I think that I've I experience at least when it's like something that I'm sharing with other people it's a lot harder to as you're saying make it personal and say this is just me and I'm a wreck and you know everything that I'm doing is wrong (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, uh, I had this funny experience just, I don't know, about an hour ago. Um, I, I guess actually since our last episode, I've really been paying attention to grounding and really, you know, recognizing like how ungrounded I felt, how fast we were all uh, moving within maybe my family and probably my husband who's editing this will be like, no, no, that was just you. Everybody else is normal. <laughs> He's like, I'd like yeah. to chime in here. Totally, totally. He'll probably splice in some audio right here to be like, actually, Seal is the problem. Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, but I've definitely like been like, okay, I need I need centering and um but this morning have you done the class by Taryn Toomey? I have done it once. <laughs> oh my god, I love it so yeah. much. I like that's my type of exercise, it's just like flailing about and sweating and <laughs> yes. jumping and like no offense to Taryn Toomey I, it's not just flailing it's very beautiful but it's like <laughs> it was just so good but we're doing it this morning and we'd had saunas this morning so we're all sweating already and we're doing the class and Arrow my little son is walking around naked pretending to be a skunk and building a house in the living room while we're doing the class and I was like this is me trying to ground like I was like laughing at myself I'm like this is as close to grounding as I get like oh shit what is my life become um, I love him. He's always like a, he's always some oh, little animal, like a, some bizarre little animal. 
Oh, yeah. He's just, yeah. I don't know. I For someone I haven't met, I just feel such a kinship with his, like, full throttle <laughs> weirdness. I love it. It's, like, the perfect way to describe my son is full throttle. Like, he came out full <laughs> throttle, and, and I don't think he stopped since, so... <laughs> yes, but it's it's good. It's just so nice to recenter and and find those practices, you know, like like movement. I mean, it's just oh, it's yeah. such a good feeling. So yeah, it's been good. Uh, surprise, surprise! I've also felt uh, very ungrounded this week and very mm-hmm. focused on trying to to get back into my body. Um, mm-hmm. It it has felt very. I mean, it's felt fast for this whole pandemic, honestly, but in some weird way, it's like things have felt topsy-turvy fast, where it's Mm -hmm. like just this, like like we're entering true chaos in a way. Um, So yeah, that that I'm curious how many people listening have also kind of felt this ungroundedness, but it's been really hard for me to remember things, and that's not like me. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, just dropping the ball in weird ways. Yeah, really, yeah. really not. Yeah, I can't remember like faces or names, which is really strange for me. I'm usually very good with names, but really having a hard time with that. And yet, I mm. mean, it, the pressure of of all the uncertainty, you know, and I, I feel like there is this like um, energetically this feeling of like everything being tossed up in the air. And then you're in sort of like this moment where there's a little bit of a pause kind of feeling before it all kind of crashes down. Or I I don't know if that's like quite the right analogy, but it's like, yeah, there's like this weird ungroundedness, this feeling of like not knowing where everything is or all the pieces are going to land, you know? And, And certainly like there's just this great unknown and strange experience such strange experience in trying to project into the future you know like in in British Columbia I mean our um health minister here or I don't know and she's not actually our health minister Bonnie Henry she's been this really wonderful calm voice through the whole experience of the pandemic and you know she's saying we should anticipate that we'll be doing this for like a year to two years, you know, and like, what is that, you know, of two years of, you know, seeing clients, talking to clients on the phone or seeing them only on Zoom and stuff, you know, like it's, it's a really strange right. sort of forward projection and, and trying to anticipate like, yeah, work and life and, and everything. Right. Do you feel worried at all having small kids, having this kind of secluded nature? Mm, well, yeah. I mean, in some ways, I guess we took, we went into town this past week and right away, kid got sick. Andy's got sick, our baby. Because, um, mm. I mean, certainly a lack of exposure to other people's germs and stuff. But um, we live a very secluded life. We certainly see a lot of local close friends, you know, and so we, we've maintained a connection to people because we're all out in the middle of the woods. Like, it's a very different social situation. So, right. so yeah, we, I mean, my son, and he's, like, he and his, he, I don't know if I told you this, we have 24 chickens, and 17 of them are brown, so he named all of the brown ones Span. So he, they're all named. <laughs> I love him. I He's think nuts. he might be my best friend. <laughs> I feel like so. Yes, I, I get him. Uh, he he just was like all of the brown ones. They're all named Span. Like who comes up with that? But so like he's a it's he's the type of kid who's just totally. He's that kind of kid though. He's just happy like just fucking about in the garden and like looking at things <laughs> and finding bugs and stuff. So no, I mean it's it's the lifestyle that we've chosen for sure is is naturally secluded. So 
But mm. I, I know that he finds it a little strange where he's like, oh, the sickness, you know, and that's the, just what we've called it is like people get the sickness or you have to stay away from people because right. you don't know if, if you have the sickness. And so he sort of gets that, but like, yeah, he's four too, so. Right. It's just like life is whatever it is. Yeah, totally. I mean, they just are, you know, when people say children are inherently, you know, adaptive, like they truly are. They normalize whatever situation they find themselves in for better or worse. I mean, this is our primary survival skill is saying whatever I'm in right now is okay. I can make it through this, right? And that's a good thing in childhood. It's necessary in childhood. Um, It also then leads to, you know, behaviors as adults where we, are we will accept things that aren't okay because they might remind us of things that were okay in childhood, right? But yeah, I mean, he's he's just adaptive, so. Yeah, it's it's all of us grownups are having the, the hard time the hardest, with that. Oh, completely, completely, because we, you know, we're, we lose that malleability, the, the flexibility if we don't practice it. I mean, and, you know, these central ideas of yoga, of like keeping your body flexible so as to maintain a flexible mind, you know, and I mean, mm. neuroplasticity, like all of the understandings that we have of how to be a healthy person is a healthy, happy person as we age is to not solidify it's not to get rigid and and ideologically inflexible and physically inflexible and and yet you know the ego mind wants nothing more than a solid like you know unpenetrable kind of idea of what the world is and what we are and you know what's right and wrong and it loves that right and so we actually have to work pretty hard against our our solidifying sort of nature right i feel like that even is coming up or what? No, no, no. Go ahead. Was, go ahead. I was I was just gonna mention that I feel like that kind of needing for a solid um, definition, I guess, or a solid mm-hmm. uh, right wrong. I just feel like there is so much uncertainty that, in a mm-hmm. way, we're we're trying to find some certainty in an ideological sense. Where oh, it's absolutely. like, this is the right way to do something. This is the wrong way to do something. Um, you know, spirituality looks like this. It doesn't look like that. Ownership yeah. has been coming up a lot. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, in, in the sense, I mean, and even just like a, like a friend of mine is opening up a yoga studio. They, they hired an artist. And then another artist saw that person's mandala and felt like it was stealing their work. And yeah. it was it's one of those things that it's like, but it's sacred geometry. And it just has me thinking a lot about, um, I don't know, this kind of need to own. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we feel like we belong without needing to possess everything? And I, I get it. As an artist myself, it's like your intellectual property is the only thing you have, really. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so it's scary to think of someone taking that, but also everything is derivative. And I think everything, not just art, but everything is derivative. And so it's like, Crazy. how do we, how do we give um, appropriate acknowledgement to people and also um, respect our own boundaries, but not be mm-hmm. so kind of locked up and colonial about it, which I think is what we're all trying to move away from. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's like 
to trace it or to connect it to this, like the colonial idea of owning some part of the world, right? Like in, in traditional societies, like people didn't own a piece of land. You belong to a certain piece of land or you had a relationship with it, but nobody owned a certain area, right? And hmm. and we are very obsessed with this sense of ownership, you know, and the sense of like mine and, and, and having a... As a sense of solid kind of self-definition in the world, right? Which, I mean, I I believe, and I don't know whether this is, you know, a belief that has an adequate amount of data to sort of back it up, but I, I believe that when human beings are truly happy, truly enlightened, truly, you know, the highest expression of themselves possible, I don't think they're going to be concerned about their intellectual property, their, you know, physical property, like, and not to suggest that they won't necessarily like own a home or anything, but that that won't be the the thing that centers their mind, that that, that is the main focus of, of where their mind goes, is thinking about what they have and whether somebody's going to take it, right? I think mm. that their mind will generally be spending most of the time it has in gratitude, awe, wonder, curiosity, blessing, you know, presence, like, and I I feel like if we're doing those things, the other question of like, you know, who's going to steal this from me, it it just is really kind of boring and un, un- pleasant to focus on and and not to diminish you know like again I think that I have the privilege to say that because I grew up in a family where my talents and my intelligence and my skills and my you know capacity were seen and upheld and deeply honored and that provided me with this development of what we call the healthy ego self of like, I'm seen, like I'm, I am a deeply privileged person. And I really recognize that, you know, in having parents that saw what I was capable of, right? And it said that, you know, that, that the healthy ego self, this feeling of like just being seen and valued as a person, as a, as an individual, you know, is, is really, if we don't have that, then I think we will seek more and more to like kind of carve out our place in the world and say, this is mine. Like, this is where I, mm. you know, am, am safe. Does that make sense? Does it feel fair? It does, but I think it's really hard to do it um, in this society. Well, and this is the trick is, well, the, this, the, maybe the sad part is that, you know, psychologists have studied healthy ego development and so far no one has been able to figure out how to do this in adulthood. And this is wow. I think why, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, it's not to set ourselves up for kind of a sad circumstance, but like, I think we can develop, we, we develop other capacities, but you know, it's said that like the healthy ego development is, is really in the first five years of life. And this is why, you know, I spent time focusing on like maternity care and, and postpartum and, and like helping mothers feel healthy. And, you know, this is, I think where as a society we need to be focusing because then they have that capacity to be present to their children in that way. And, and, you know, really support them and and provide this sort of core grounding for that individual. 
um, we still can transcend you know, the the ego self in adulthood, even if we didn't have you know this really spectacular childhood experience. It's absolutely possible. But no, so far, I mean, psychologists have really studied that, seeing it as like a core, a cornerstone of of healthy mental practice and, and experience is like thinking that you are worthy, right? Which is this mm. healthy ego experience. And I think that if that's not there, it's very easy to say, okay, this is mine. This is mine. Like, this is, this is how I'm going to create this sense of solidity in my life. Right. Well, and I think that there's also just this element of, of commercializing everything you do so that you can monetize totally. it. And totally. in order to do that, you kind of have to pitch it as if I do something that no one else can do or else they can't do it like me or else why would you pay me to do this thing you know which is such a I mean I experienced that as a very scarcity oriented scarcity originated mindset you know where like there's this feeling that there's not enough in the world for me and and I have to like make sure that everyone knows you know what is mine in a sense and and Mm. I don't I Years ago, when I came back from San Francisco and I was living up here and I was talking to my teacher on the phone and I was really worried about money. I mean, I'd graduated school with $80,000 in student loan debt and um, was working, you know, on a really exciting contract position up here, but like not making very much money. And I was super stressed and, and, you know, I I kept coming at it really with um, that, that manifestation mindset of like, how do I make more money? You know, how do I come up with $80,000? And like, I, I was, you know, setting all these intentions and goals, which I don't think are altogether bad at all. But um, in her very cryptic way, because my teacher would often speak to me like this, she'd say, you just have it backwards. And then she'd, you know, hang up the phone and you'd be like, fuck, lady, like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What do I have backwards? You know, and I, I but it, it's necessary sometimes to receive cryptic teachings so that we, we are connecting with our own internal wisdom rather than relying on, you know, the presence of somebody else's like very deliberate teachings. So I sat right. with it for a while and realized that what I had backwards was I was thinking about what am I going to get instead of what am I giving? And this is mm-hmm. this, you know, relationship of Aini, this right relationship that we as practitioners and as seekers, I think, are, we, we need to commit to that um, way of being in the world. That instead of thinking, how do I find my stuff, my, 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 whatever, you know, my place, we need to figure out how do I live in this perfect balance, you know, of giving and receiving and, and not worrying about, you know, the, the how, what am I getting back all the time or what don't I have, which is very easy for our ego mind to continuously live in. And I, I feel like sometimes the ownership stuff, again, that it's it's coming from this feeling of, you know, I'm not going to get what I deserve, basically. I'm going to get right. shorted. Somebody else is going to get my stuff, my money for this mandala or whatever, you know, which which should have been mine. And, I mean, again, the sort of magical experience that I had with shifting my mindset of like, I just want to give then. I want to figure out how do I show up more? How do I be more present? How do I, whatever. Monetary concerns started disappearing completely because you will always get 
exactly what you're putting out in, in my lineage, seven times what you're putting out, you know, and it will come back to you, not necessarily in the form or shape that you put it out, but that it will come back mm. to you in an appropriate time and timely way. It's that a much I feel nicer. like butts up against, it's mm, a, what's a, I was just going to say that butts up against a, a paradox that I feel like is also something that keeps coming up, which is that um, this kind of, privileged in a way that goes along with um the manifesting mindset and maybe like self-mastery where it's like everything is inside of me um and also i have been harmed in the past like that's not untrue i'm not crazy Mm -hmm. i'm this Mm -hmm. fear i carry is based off of past experience for the most part so there is this element where i mean there are people where it's like no matter what they do, they kind of still kind of can't seem to get out of the mire. And Mm -hmm. is that just because they don't have the mindset? I mean, I, that, that one's a confusing one for me because in, Mm -hmm. in some ways, I guess this is tangential. There's no way to really ask this question, but I guess to use a personal example is I, I think that, um, I remember when I was a kid growing up thinking that my mom is one of the most generous and kind people and helpful people. Like she just is very um, giving. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like she just had like hard knock after hard knock. And I mean, this is all relative. Everything was Mm -hmm. always okay. I think that wasn't without stress or anything on her part. But... um, but there was an element where it's just like, man, it does kind of sometimes feel like good people suffer and people yeah. who are kind of shysty profit because they're playing the game that we've yeah. all agreed to better than the nice people. So there mm-hmm. is this weird, like, you know, nice guy finish last thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and and not to... Because I think that this could very easily be misconstrued, and I hope you won't hear it this way, nor you know people listening as as spiritual bypassing. But in in my experience, you know, in say a karmic, um, you know, the experience of karma, the experience of karmic circumstances, you know, showing up, it is transpersonal. It is not just of this lifetime, and that is not to suggest mm. that you know, like people are being quote unquote punished. This is this is corrective, not not condemning action that karma operates with. You know that there's some sort of thing happening to say, oh, here I'm going to move you in this direction so that you have the capacity to cultivate compassion, understand other people's positions, whatever. You know, create a, an otherwise you know sense of unification with all that is. And so I think that when we think in terms of this lifetime, you know, there's a very limited kind of, oh, well, why are those people, you know, still getting good things, even though they're shit people, you know, or they're acting like shit people, and these people are getting these horrible knocks, right? That would be mm-hmm. one part, you know, that kind of broadens the scope. Um, I mean, Stanislav Grof's work in the transpersonal is so interesting because he's worked so much with, like, birth trauma and then, you know, people who have so-called like reincarnation experiences and they can talk about their past lives and, and like there is it actually a very substantial body of evidence and, and research to suggest that reincarnation is like incredibly real and happens often that people come into this lifetime with memories of their previous life. So, I mean, this is a whole area of human experience that I don't think is, is very well tapped at all. The other thing right. that I would suggest, and maybe this is 
this is a harder thing to reflect on and um, can very easily, again, be misconstrued as or experienced as victim shaming. But when I say what we give, like in, in terms of, say, this Aini relationship of like what we give and what we receive, we are also giving to ourselves all the time or not giving to ourselves, right? We could be giving ourselves a ton of shame and blame and guilt while we are being kind to the outside world and we still may get corrective or like responsive experiences coming into our lives because it's like, hey, you're not very nice to yourself. Like that that you're going to get back a return on too, mm. right? Does that make sense? Oh my God. Yes. Oh God. So it's like when you are harming yourself, you're also kind of being corrected in. Well, okay. So yes, that makes sense. Almost. So, okay. Let's say that I'm just. (laughs) Stay with it. Let's, let's figure this out. Follow me on this road. Um, So, okay. Let's say that every day I'm just kind of like, Uh, I'm a terrible person. I don't do everything. I don't do anything right. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying that to myself. So karmically speaking, I'm also being corrected for thinking that by having other people reflect that same thing to me. Mm -hmm. So the idea with karma is that like, you know, not just with karma, let's widen this scope just a little bit. You know, as I've referenced in a previous episode, you know, we talked about the reticular activating system, this part of your brain that is scanning the environment all the time for familiar things, right? Things that it thinks that you want to think about, right? So there's there's layers of this um, sort of attraction process, if you will, where, you know, on one level, on a neurobiological level, we are we are perceiving what we want to see, you know, and what we want to see mm. is whatever we repeatedly think about. So if you're thinking, I'm a horrible person, in a sense, your brain is primed to to pick those circumstances up, right? Out of the multitude, the, the you know, right. eternity of, of options that might be available to you. You're going to skew things to confirm your own internal bias, right? Where, like... So say you go to the grocery store and someone's really rude to you. If you have the bias that like you're just an unlikable person, you're going to take that experience and you're going to turn it into evidence to support your internal narrative, right? And if you have a narrative that says, you know, I'm a great person and, you know, people just have hard days, you're going to use that evidence to skew it to that narrative. And you're going to say, well, that person's probably just having a hard time, right? So, I mean, this is the whole you make your own reality reality. This is is how it works, is that our brain actually wants to see what it thinks we like seeing. And whatever we think about repetitively is what we think think it thinks we like seeing right so there's that kind of aspect of it yes on a karmic level though too you know the energetic dance of of existence is like it's bringing us evidence of what we're thinking in in this again not punishing way it's just like oh okay so this is what you think you want to experience hopefully so that at some point it becomes a corrective sort of experience for us where we go, okay, I'm tired of this shit. Like I don't, I don't want to think this anymore. Yeah. Right. And, and we have the capacity hopefully, or the the support to shift our mind, to start focusing in a different direction. So how do you kind of change this loop? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, 
the simplicity of it, I think, is frustrating for people a lot of the time. And I think that, um, I mean, certainly I, I know I experienced it as frustrating where on one hand, I think we all know how much power there is in our minds and our attention and, you know, what we think is very, very important. And then, but we, we also, you know, live in relationship to the rest of the world and we can look outside and see people doing horrible things or, you know, things not going well and, and we focus our intention there. And it's not to suggest that, you know, that's that's a totally useless place to focus attention. Things, you know, in the outside world still need to be addressed. But the simplicity of meditation always, you know, of like learning how to relate to your mind um, and especially to those parasitic narratives that say, you know, you are just a worthless person or whatever. And, and, and I say parasitic, you know, because they really are zapping our energy. They're consuming us all the time. Yeah. And until we stop and question them and say, why do I listen to this? Like, why do I still believe this? And why do I, in fact, perpetuate this in my life by continuing to think it and then condition on my mind to find evidence for it, right? And so there is that, like, real self-responsibility um, practice and act of going inwards and going, okay, what am I thinking? I mean, cognitive behavioral therapy and all of these, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy, like for, for looking at like, what story are you telling yourself? And that's, it's very important because so long as that story is happening, um, you know, we, we will be subconsciously kind of experiencing a reflection of that in the outside world. And we'll be picking that up and saying, see, it's true. See, this keeps happening. And, and this means my story is totally true. So there's a real, yes. I mean, I, I think that people need to be held in looking inwards a lot of the time. I certainly did. I mean, this is why we go to therapy. This is why we seek a spiritual group of practitioners to share our experience with is because like the brain actually, um, oh, what's his name? Not Stephen Porges, another trauma therapist, um, Bessel van der Kolk, he says, you know, when our brain has been traumatized, which we all have on some level, there's there's uh, three things that happen to our minds that, you know, really is, is a very clear indicator that someone is carrying trauma. The, the first is we gain the ability to lie without knowing that we're lying, which is a crazy thing. Like, but Ooh. we, we all do that. I mean, if, if you actually like, we can tell lies and, and some part of us does know, but like our sort of overarching cognitive mind, conscious mind doesn't want to see that we're lying. And this is the basis of, you know, addiction and, and crime and everything, you know, is that we actually have dissociated from ourselves that much that we can, we don't even know if we're lying anymore. The second is right. that we, we stop feeling our body. We stop actually being able to connect with our physical form. And the third is that we, um, we can't self reflect like a, literally the brain says you need to be on alert for danger in the outside world and it really doesn't want to look at itself it doesn't want to look at its thought patterns it doesn't want to look at like how it's it's you know conceptualizing the world and so the person has to be generally felt held enough feel safe enough to do that 
okay, now I'm going to move inwards kind of work, right? To just mm-hmm. tell people that they should be able to self-reflect if, if they're not, if they're still in trauma, like that's, that's generally going to be too much to ask of most people. Their brain actually physiologically right. will not let them do that, right? So is that something that it's like, if you are in that place, or I think many people can probably think of somebody that they know like that, how mm-hmm. do you go about helping someone and making that step when it's like, mm-hmm. you are just in such deep suffering, you can't even see Totally. that there's a way to end it. No, you can't even see that it's there. I mean, this is, again, right. we normalize everything, right? I mean, people, oh, Allison, like sometimes, you know, some of the clients that I work with who are like magical people, and yet then you hear some of the stories of this stuff that they've gone through, and it's just unbelievable. You know, like the the timeline of their life and all of the trauma that's happened and that they're still standing and still like going to work and, you know, doing stuff. Like it's just crazy. And so that is, you know, this coping strategy that we all have embedded in our makeup to be able to not pay attention. Can you hear my child screaming in the background? I couldn't know. I'm pretty sure he's he's yelling about something outside. The window is open. Poor guy. He heard us um, talking about him earlier. Yeah, apparently about how wonderful he is, and he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm crazy too." I know he's, he's good. Um, no, so when when you know we all have this part of our our psyche and our our makeup that allows us to put trauma off to the side, right? And yeah. healing is this unpacking of it is is gradually opening up these these boxes of memory and emotion and experience that we weren't able to fully navigate right and in this shamanic tradition the the retrieval of those soul parts and and calling them back and making them feel at home again so my job as a practitioner and as a therapist is to feel safe and that is you know the the dynamic, you know, the dance that is so different with every person where some people it feels very safe if I talk a lot about myself. Some people it's very safe for them if I don't talk at all, you know, and it's this constant reading of a person's energetic state to figure out where they will feel safe. I'm reading their body, how fast they're breathing, their movements, you know, their their like spinal alignment, like it, you name it. You're reading the whole person and saying, how do I get this person to feel like they can settle. And I mean, that, that I use a lot of somatic, um, trauma practices, um, TRE, tension and trauma release therapy, uh, is, mm-hmm. is amazingly beneficial for people to like release some stuff in their body so they, their mind can actually come into a self-reflective place and then do that inner necessary inner healing work. Um, right. sometimes, you know, it's like hands-on practice. Sometimes it's yoga. Sometimes I use a lot of homeopathics, a lot of adaptogenic herbs, you know, to help the body settle. Cause if the body is in a heightened state, and I mean, this is the challenge of like modern humans, we are bathed in chemicals that are constantly keeping our nervous system activated. And like right. the fact that we are not acknowledging like what glyphosate and these crazy chemicals, these 7,000 different chemicals that are developed per year and some like fifth of them are tested for long-term safety, you know, and just dumped into the environment. We are, our nervous systems are always on right now. Plus the planet is stressed animals are stressed, you know, we have a pandemic, there's like racial concerns, there's, you know, you name it, everything, we don't even realize how activated we are. And so it is a real challenge and a a wonderful practice, but like for all of us to go, okay, how do I 
how do I calm myself, you know, enough so that then my brain and my whole self feel safe to go inwards and then look at my inner narrative, right? And it's, right. it's a big ask. Well, that's the tricky part is that it's like you have to both feel safe and and like acknowledged and validated in your experience, but also be willing to look at your own part in the shit that you go through all the time, which is the hardest part because it's like when you're so traumatized, you don't want to hear I contribute to this. You want to hear this happens to me. Of course, of course. Um, Some part of you, I always, I mean, I will always maintain that every human being wants to feel what I would call a sense of power within themselves, which is the power to write their own story, to say, this is what my meaning is. But I mean, this is a privilege that is not available to every person, right? If if the world around you is writing a very different story about your value and whether or not you belong, you know, you generally, most people are not going to be able to go, oh, I'm overriding that external story, writing my own and like, I'm, I'm all good, right? I mean, there certainly right. has to be... A, 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 an amount of safety for most people like we we are not easily um kind of mathematically divided as much as i appreciate the philosophies and the the hypotheses behind intersectionality you know the the concept that like you can have uh, a skin color of this you know a, an, an ability of this level uh, whatever and this is all mathematically going to equate to the amount of trauma you've had in your life I don't think that that's completely accurate I think it's the best working mathematical kind of model we have for understanding what burden each individual carries you know what what pain they carry based on their status within our, our sort of sick society you know but there's always going to be outliers there's always going to be you know anomalies within that system that some people need way more safety some people need way less you know and it really depends on the individual but when a person is capable of conceptualizing that they have an inner narrative I would I would argue I think and and have experience with people working directly with them that they then do have the capacity to look at that inner narrative like the minute that we you know go okay I'm part of this story right and and can reclaim some semblance of willfulness, you know, in, in that relationship to our own mind and, and the story that we're writing by saying, okay, today I can be grateful for the sun or today I can practice focusing on my breath as I move through the day, you know, like, and that is the, the, the crack in the, the door in a sense to like allow a person to start walking into the inner rooms of their own psyche and say, well, what else is in here? Right. And right. eventually, you know, as we walk deeper and deeper into those rooms, we come into contact with our so-called core wounds, you know, these stories that have been with us our whole, basically our whole life since very early childhood that have been subconsciously directing our behavior, you know, and even directing the way that we perceive other people's behaviors um, because, you know, that's, it's been like the the story of of what the world is all about to us, right? And we have Mm. to come close to them to be able to eventually release them. Can you explain more what you mean about the intersectionality? Just clarify. Mm -hmm. You're saying that it's kind of like you just can't assume someone has a certain amount of trauma because of their identifiers or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so say, you know, I work with a family 
and a family. I mean, you know, as having a sit, you have one sister, Alison. One sister, yeah. Right. We can have the same family experience. Like I have two sisters and a brother, and um, we we all grew up in the same family. We all had like relatively the same childhood experience. I grew up and had you know massive dis- depression and all sorts of like anxiety issues and everything else that like my sisters did not have at all you know and they they seemingly went through the same experience this idea of intersectionality of saying you know if you're looking at say uh gender norms like whether this person fits into a heteronormative you know kind of labeling um whether they are of the so-called dominant skin color or whatever you know racial divide that you're looking at um, whether they are able-bodied or not, you know, all of these, like, I, I mean, again, I think it's a really beautiful way of trying to say, have compassion for the fact that if you are a cisgendered, heteronormative, you know, white male in in Western society, you, you generally have not had to deal with all of these other, you know, uh, right. potentials for trauma, right? What I'm saying is that, as, as close as that model might get to being able to understand someone's experience, it's never going to be exactly the same because like, or exactly what that person has gone through. It might be more, you know, who knows what that person has gone through, but it might be that right. that person had some inborn resilience. You know, they talk about the fact that all of us are born as either dandelion children, tulip children or orchid children. Right. And, oh, and there is this like thing, this, like I'm a, freaking orchid like as as not to make myself really special you know but like I ran into my my swimming teacher some years ago you know and she said I I, oddly I was teaching a a course on resilience at the time and and I didn't even recognize her and we used to take swimming lessons at this local lake that's freezing and I would stand on the edge of the lake and just cry I was just Mm -hmm. so traumatized by like how cold the water was and I was scared of the deep like the deep part of the lake and it was just all really upsetting and my older sister would just like leap in you know and no problem and my swim teacher after I taught this course she came up to me and she was like hey I don't know if you remember me and she's like it's just so ironic that you're teaching about resilience because you were like the least resilient kid ever like everything (laughs) terrified you and I was like yeah I know you know and like I, I don't know why I was born that way I was I was truly just deeply sensitive and reactive in in and like needed so much more than my siblings did and so mm. I, you know, orchid children are like orchids. They need that really intense safety. Tulip kids are kind of in the middle ground. Like they, they're they good, you know, but you can't step on them the way that you could with a dandelion. I mean, a dandelion is going to push through cement, you know, like they, they, they just right. have this capacity, right? So again, you know, all of our models of like, if a person went through this, this is the type of trauma they're going to have. It's, it's a right. good and necessary and like it's, 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 as a as a philosophical sort of framework is really good to get people to think about the fact that other people have experienced probably way more trauma than you have or you know like to validate someone's experience if they do fit into one of those like sort of classifications right but it's never going right. to fully experience or explain someone's capacity to heal to stay whole within themselves as they go through traumatic events you know if that makes sense it does. That, that helps. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, 
the the interesting thing, I, I truly, I work with some families who, you know, went through immense trauma and and one sibling is in jail or, you know, really struggling and other siblings dealing with addictions and stuff. And the other sibling is completely like just awesome. I mean, has a really great life and functions beautifully well and doesn't have any sort of like emotional stuff and and like doesn't really understand why the other siblings have these challenges, right? And that's that's mm. not uncommon. Mm. And that kind of takes yeah. us back around to the karma you came in with, maybe. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And being careful, though, I am very careful in my thinking about karma, thinking about events in people's lives as karmic experiences, that it is never punitive. It's never like you were a bad person and now this is happening to you. The universe is not punitive. And I think that truly the, the idea of a punitive God that emerged out of, you know, like Judeo Christian kind of mythologies and, and ideologies is, is really perhaps one of the most detrimental ideas that humankind has ever come up with, you know. And I actually mm-hmm. had the beauty f- benefit of interviewing Robin Wall Kimmer a couple weeks ago for a mental health forum that I was organizing up here. And at the end of the talk, I asked her, I was like, what was it that made colonial society move away from nature? You know, and her answer was religion, right? As soon as we start mm-hmm. thinking that we're going to be punished or that there's another world that's better than this one, that that's what we should be aiming for, right? We're not going to value this one in the same way and we're going to separate from it. And it really, um, I like, I think that it's very easy though, you know, when people say stuff like karma's a bitch, you know, like we can take these very spiritual concepts and turn them into, again, this system of punishment that somehow you're going to be punished. You're going to get a sickness and die or like something's going to happen to you and, you know, for, for stuff that happened in the past. And I just, it doesn't, in, in my, you know, personal and lineage experience, it does not operate like that. Right. It's just, I mean, that's again, comes down to our society that everything is really built on a reward system. Even as a, totally. in, a kid in school, it's kind of like, you're good, you get a gold star. There's no good for the sake of goodness. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's a very yeah. blanket statement. There's plenty of good people who are good for the sake of being good. But I think that mm-hmm. um, there is this kind of like, or else implanted in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that's what happens when we've forgotten what it feels like to be connected, you know, and mm-hmm. and we, again, it, you know, that when we're in a traumatized space and, and colonial society is inherently traumatized, as we've talked about before, you know, this is... This is not a conceptualization of the world and the universe and, you know, other races of people and nature and everything else that I think came from a grounded, loving place, right? It came out of trauma. And and what that trauma was, who knows? I mean, it could be the the myth of the the flood, you know, and and it made us all, like, super scared. And then we started trying to control our environment. But whatever it was, the brain changed to a traumatized state and went into not being self-reflective, not feeling the body. And the body, uh, you know, is in extension, the environment, right? We don't feel what we're doing to the environment. Like how, there's a cut block that I drive past when I go into town for my in-town work. 
And every time I drive past it, it's like this pain in my whole body comes over. And it's just this like wound on the earth. It just, as far as you can see off to the side of the, ro- the road, there's just no trees. And it's it's just yeah. destruction. And it, I understand, like we live in a resource-oriented and, or um, sort of dictated culture where I live, but that type of logging, like that, that it doesn't hurt people to do that is an indicator that they are removed from their body, right? They're removed from mm. the, the earth as their body. And we gain the ability to lie and not know that we're lying, you know, and, and we, we live in this egoic kind of place where we, we're, we're afraid all the time, you know, we're afraid of each other, we're afraid of the earth, we're afraid of our bodies, and we're trying to control them with medications and, and diagnose them with disorders when, you know, pretty much most of them are, <laughs> maybe I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying this, but fabricated, like they're fabricated conditions. These are not like, this is a set of symptoms. These are not diseases. This isn't like something that somebody mm-hmm. caught, these chronic illnesses that, you know that 90% of people over the age of 60 have a chronic disease right now 40 percent of kids and 60 percent of all people under the age of 60 have a chronic disease right now oh my god yeah and that's not to do with the fact that we live in such a kind of like chemical laden information laden everything like everything it's all it's all coming together to put this this pressure you know and and i mean at some point we will stop and go Oh, well, I think we are, you know, and it's a beautiful thing to like be alive on the earth, I think, as this hopefully is going to happen to stop and go, what are we doing? Like, what are the core beliefs of this system that we're abiding in? And I, I think this comes back to like the idea of ownership, you know, it is one that I guess I, uh, you and I talked about this actually when I was putting out the deck, you know, and, and feeling like I should, you know, trademark stuff and be more careful. And I appreciate very much like your awareness of like the business world and as like something that you can do. And I am a super naive, like, I don't know, wood child in some ways where I just like, I'm like, I don't know, I'm just going to put this out here and like, I don't give a shit. Like I just, I don't think about things in that way, you know, and it's good to think about it, but I also would much rather focus on what am I giving you know, what kind of beauty can I add to the world and trust that I like, if people are going to do something screwy with it, like, uh, I got more ideas, you know, like it's, it's not, but again, that's my privilege. That's, that's, I get to say that because I feel safe and because I feel inherently valued, you know? So, so it's, right. it's a, yeah, it's such a tricky question. Ooh, yeah. Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. All music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. <laughs>